Well, good morning, and welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. My name is Aaron, and I am so glad that you joined us today. We have been working through the book of Acts for almost a year now. Isn't that amazing? But luckily, not all at once. We took it in three different chunks. And so we started out how the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God came into the world. Right? And so we saw how it uh, was planted after Jesus resurrected, how he brought the Holy Spirit and sent the church out and started to grow, and the kingdom of God grew from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Right, That's how it started, and how the kingdom of God be- began to infiltrate the, the, not just the region, but the, uh, the hearts and the minds of, of those that lived closest to the cross and how God was doing a redemptive work there, and it was pretty exciting. And then we took a little break, and we did some other messages, and we came back with our part two, and we saw how the kingdom of God then started to, to grow, how it uh, grew from not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also, and how the kingdom of God not just went to, to just the uh, to, to those who understood the prophecies and the history and all of that stuff, but even to those that were far off, that God's kingdom started to uh, invade the hearts and the lives of a society at large. And in this last section, we got to see how the kingdom of God then grew, not just to Gentiles, but geographically, and has grown through all. We had Asia, and we had Greece, and today we get to see how it even goes to the very center of the world at the time, Rome, how the kingdom of God overcomes it's an amazing thing, and we finally finish up this, uh, this series. And you know, as I was going through and, and preparing for this message, it, it dawned on me that uh, how Paul wound up in Rome wasn't how he thought he was going to end up in Rome, right? The kingdom of God doesn't always grow the way that we think it's going to grow. I mean, has your life always gone as planned? Yeah, nobody, except maybe if you're like 12, right? And even then, and even then, Right? That's part of being a human, right? That's part of being in a broken world. That's part of being not all-powerful and all not all-knowing and all that kind of stuff, that, that we don't always know how our lives are going to shape, but we can be sure of this, that if we're walking with God, that our life is going to wind up exactly where it's supposed to be, right? That God leads us in the paths that he needs us to go. The, path, the important thing, though, is we have to make sure that we stick with him. And today's passage, we see how to finish strong, right? Nobody wants to, to end their life in dismal failure, right? Nobody wants to, to get to the very end and say, well, oh, I blew it, <laughs> or oh, I messed up. How is it that we would see, we see the Apostle Paul, who took a different path? I mean, the route that his gospel, his journey, didn't take the route that he thought it was going to, but he finished well. And in so doing, we find in this passage, how do we finish well? How do we survive the storms of life and finish strong. And so that's what we'll be talking about today. Of course, before we do, we do have our memory verse for the entire series. Well, and this is the last day. So I hope that uh, if you've been with us, you've, you, you've had a chance to see this scripture, have a chance to not only stick into your mind and your heart, but also transform us uh, trans- as you begin to walk in faith. And so if you're new with us today and this is your first time, that's wonderful. This is a powerful passage. I invite you, you could just uh, say it along with us and get to know it. It's, a, it's an amazing verse. So here we go. Let's say it. Three, two, one. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testing testifying to the good news of God's grace, Acts 20.24. You know, over this series, I've been sharing with you how God has used that passage to help me in my daily life to transform my living into something different, right? And so this past week, uh, we had the opener for our football team, which was fantastic. And by the way, Friday, our middle school and high school are going to be playing our, our home openers this Friday. So you want to come at 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock and root on the football team, which would be fantastic, and pray for us. It would be awesome. This last game that we went to was difficult. It, it did, things didn't go as planned. I'll just say that. Okay? I think that's fair enough. Right? And it's really easy when you see things not work, when the plan that you worked so hard, you put together, kind of falls off, falls apart, the, the wheels fall off the bus, as it were, to get discouraged and to be down, right? But I remember in those moments, in the midst of when things aren't going the way that we planned for them to, it does not mean that God's purposes are absent. And it was on the ride back home 
right, that, that we had, that I was contemplating this and thinking about, what is the what is it that God could possibly have? Like, we put a lot of effort into this, and it didn't go the way that we wanted it to at all. And I realized that, you know, I consider my life worth nothing to me, right? There's, I had my plan for what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to, to I, was, I prayed for the, each of the kids and all that stuff beforehand, and, and it was, and all of that. And I realized that God has got something bigger in this season than just this one game, Right? And so afterwards, being able to, as we talk to the players, as we take them off the bus and things like this, there was something that I did get to talk about. I got to testify to the good news of God's grace. You know, the passage that God has given me for the football team this year as we're, we're beginning our, of the season comes to us from Second Chronicles 15.7. It says, work, uh, it says uh, be strong and courageous. Your hard work will be rewarded. And, and I shared that with them before we played. <laughs> Then no hard work was rewarded last night on Friday. (laughs) To stand there on faith and to testify to good news, to let them know that there is something bigger than that. This passage gave me, again, the the reset, the ability to be able to focus these young men on uh, something bigger than just a win or a loss. That's the power of God's word. Now, that may seem very, very distant foreign to you because you're not a coach. But wherever you are in your life, I'll tell you, God's word has power. It resets us. It reframes our thinking, right? It becomes a filter, filters all the junk out from the world, all of the stuff that keeps us distracted and keeps us uh, going about doing the wrong things. And we'll find out today how important it is that we stay attuned to what God has for us. And that's the power of God's word. So I'll tell you, if you have not had the opportunity to memorize and to meditate on this passage... But I encourage you, take some time this week to do so and to help you with that. If you haven't done so yet, on your connection card, we even have a Bible memory verse card. Right, The, word, the, the power of God's word work in your life and your heart as well. Okay, since you're doing that, let's uh, turn our Bibles to the final chapter of Acts. Acts 28, we made it. Aren't you excited? Oh, yeah, this is very good. And so uh, here we are, and... Uh, the final chapter, and where do we find Acts chapter 28? Well, we find the Apostle Paul, he is, uh, he's on a ship. Well, actually, he's on an island in Malta, okay? And where is that? That's that little, that little island down there uh, right off of the coast of Sicily, right? And he was shipwrecked there, and then uh, he was in custody being brought to Rome to Caesar, so he has to go to court, and he's got to go visit Caesar so he can... Uh, lay out his, test, his uh, court case before him and say, I've been held inappropriately. And it wasn't just Paul that was on trial. It was the gospel that was on trial. The reason that Paul was in prison was, uh, well, there were some false accusations that he brought Gentiles into the, the temple, which were absolutely proven false multiple times, multiple trials. No one could find anything to keep him on. But the real reason he was there is because there were some people that were from the, the province of Asia who didn't like the gospel. And so when Paul was down there in Jerusalem, they made up these false charges to get him in trouble. And so while Paul was in prison, he got to share them. And he said the truest thing, the reason that he was really in prison is because he believes in the resurrection of the dead. He believes that Jesus Christ died and rose again. He believes he's truly the Messiah. And that's why he was there. And so Paul is going to go stand before the highest, most powerful person in the world and his, he's on trial for nothing more than believing the truth about Christ. The gospel is now going to be on trial. But Paul, before he can be on trial, he's got to get off this island. And so why was he there? Uh, in route, they had a shipwreck. You can listen to the message of last week. It's on our website, funchurch.com. Or you can read uh, Acts chapter 27, which will tell you all about it. All right? And so here we find, how does Paul get from Malta all the way to Rome? Well, Starting there in Acts 28, verse uh, 1, it says, Once safely on shore, oh, oh, sorry, we're going to go all the way down to uh, chapter, or verse 11. It says, After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had uh, wintered in, on the island. It was an Alexandrian ship. That was the same kind of ship that they were on before, with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Paulus. Now, those, why is that, would that detail be added? I have no idea, except for I think it's uh, kind of ironic that the... Uh, they go on an Alexandrian ship that's going to bring them back up, a ship from, from Egypt. And uh, Castor and Pollux were these twin gods, right, that the Romans believed were where we get like Gemini, the, the, the celestial sign. Well, they were sons of, uh, of Zeus, but one 
of them was a son of a god, like his mom was a god and Zeus was a god, and the other one was the son of a human. And so these, two, these twin gods, these twin heroes, one was God and one was man. It's interesting that they go on into Rome on a ship testifying to a hero that is God and man. I think that's kind of cool. Anyway, they get on that boat, and uh, they travel up. Uh, here, they get on the boat, and it says we, put, out, uh, we uh, put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. So here's a little line if you're like, where is this? That's the first major port for a few days, and then they went from there. So this is where they go to the next port there. And then from there, they head on up all the way into the major port cities of, uh, of Italy. And so this is where they get off Tuli there, and they meet some Christians there, and they spend some time. And it, I think it's really cool is not only do they stay there, all the Christians, even though he, Paul has never been there before, they take them in. And they don't just take Paul in, they take his Roman captors, and they show them hospitality. Think about that. That's pretty amazing. And what's even more astounding is that the Romans would permit it. They would be, the testimony that Paul had with his Roman captors in those three months on a shipwreck and all of those type of things, I think was making a difference in Paul. And the thing that's really cool about this is that uh, Paul is getting ready to go stand before the Roman chief. And the Roman soldiers along with him are now beginning to see the power and the truth of the gospel that he gets continually testified to. How cool is that? And then they, they finally end up making it to Rome. And so when they're in Rome, it's like, yay, they made it. <laughs> That's a long journey that Paul made all the way up. And it had a lot of detours, you know, with a hurricane and whatnot. And when they make it to Rome, it finds out the, the entire faith community comes out to visit them. And it says that there are Christians that came even from the three taverns. Well, that's a, right below this area. There's a, there was a town, and, and just like in, in our own places, sometimes there'll be a, a monument, and, there, and then a community will build up around that, and they just keep the name. And so there's a community, three taverns, and, and you had Christians walking. They don't have cars, right? Remember that. So they had walked and took donkeys and stuff and horses because Romans were cool. And they took them all the way up into Rome along the Apian Way, which, uh, and that's where Paul enters Rome and uh, finally makes it. And the first thing that Paul does while he is in there is he reaches out to the Jewish community. Isn't that awesome? Like all the way through, he's... He's done all of this, and his, he's going to bring the faith to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he reaches out to the Jewish community. Verse 17 is where it starts there. It says, uh, for three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. Three days after this massive, long, long journey, getting into his new Roman abode. And it says that after they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, Although I have done nothing against the people or against the custom of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me, and they wanted to release me, but because I was not guilty of a crime or deserving death, the Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to see you and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound in chain. And the first thing Paul does is he explains to the Jewish community exactly why he is there. You know, I'm here. I didn't mean to, to cause a problem with you and the new emperor, right? That's not, my, that's not what I did. The only reason I'm here is I had to apply my civil rights. And as interesting is that the, uh, the people that were the, the Jewish were like, well, we haven't heard anything about you, which I think is phenomenal for the fact that all of the Christians, most of them were Jewish, right, traveled as far as three taverns to go and visit Paul. Apparently, he was a man of some renown, but these Jewish leaders in the synagogues were like, we haven't heard anything bad about you one way or the other. Like, where were you guys? Right? But they did. That's what they said. They didn't, they didn't know anything. So they, uh, so they invited Paul. And Paul couldn't visit the synagogue because he was in a house arrest. So they went to him. And Paul shares with them the gospel. Verse 21, it says, Verse 21, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. Right? I think this is interesting. That uh, oftentimes the political people in power are at totally, they have no connection with the people that they rule over, right? They, they didn't have their finger on the pulse at all. Like the people from Jerusalem, they're like, Paul who? <laughs> like they, it wasn't a big deal to them. It says, but we want to hear from um, what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. And again, they're talking about Christianity as a branch of Judaism. And Paul is saying it's not the branch, it's the root. It, it's the fruit, <laughs> 
This is, this is the faith applied. These are the promises kept. And so Paul goes on and he, he, uh, he says, Then Paul arranged to meet, or they arranged with Paul to be on a certain day, and they came in large numbers the place where he was staying, and he witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets, and tried to persuade them about Jesus. And some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Right? And that just happens. I think oftentimes when we go through life and we have our vision of what does it mean to finish strong, we think sometimes it's about just, uh, like for Paul, it would be evangelizing everybody. Right? You have one of the best evangelists, the best defenders, the best apologists of the faith in the history of the church, and he couldn't even convince everybody. Right? Uh, the thing is, is that Paul's goal wasn't to please people. It really wasn't even about what, what he could accomplish. It's, was he going to be faithful? That's the goal, to be faithful, to testify when you have opportunity to testify, as good as you possibly can. That was the goal, not the results, right? Some believed, some did not. And so what did they do? It said those that disagreed amongst themselves, verse 25, began to leave um, after Paul made this final statement. And this is kind of a harsh statement. He says, the Holy Spirit spoke through your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. That's, that's pretty harsh. I think if you're a people pleaser, you don't say this. Right? Fair enough? Like, if you're really trying to, to engage with the people, if your goal, if Paul's goal was to have the best, most evangelistic ministry, right, to convince everybody, he would have twisted the gospel to become more receptive, right, to, to, to receive, have a better reception with his people. But Paul preached faithfully with kindness. He showed them from the word. He reasoned with them. He showed them very faithfully, but some would just reject. And Paul points to the scripture and says, you know what? This was prophesied, and I'm not going to change the word. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to make excuses for God. He said this was happened. And even though what you're doing is evil, God is still going to do something amazing because of it. If you won't listen, God's sending it to those who will. Isn't that awesome how God is? It's like you have this big cup, and God has the ocean, and he can fill up that cup. And, and, and whenever the cup gets filled, it just spills on over. And it doesn't matter if the bowl is massive or it's just a tiny little teaspoon. The volume of God's mercy will still spill over into the world. And he said to the Jewish community, as many as would come, whether it be a teaspoon of you or, or a giant vat or a swimming pool, for all who would hear, there is the grace of God, and it will fill you, and the Holy Spirit will fill you, and the hope of God will fill you, and the promises of God will keep you, right? And then it's going to spill on out to the rest of the world. An infinite supply of grace and mercy and goodness. Isn't that an amazing gospel that we have? And so Paul said, once you've filled the brim, let's not be surprised that God's mercy is going to spread and fill this world. And so it did. But I think also for us, there's a warning. Right? I think for a lot of us, for the Jews, they just took the gospel for granted. That God, for centuries, had uniquely theirs. To the point that it was very, very difficult for anybody else, if you were a Gentile, to be able to understand and to receive that grace. If you were a man, you had to become circumcised. That is a commitment. Right? And, and in, in Rome, there were a lot of people that listened to what the Jews were doing and, and, and liked the, the, the Jewish God because he's a God of morals in the midst of this, this insane society that they lived in. And they saw how everything was being broken and yet the Jews respected they had God and they respected family and they respected his order of life that made sense. And there was a lot of Gentiles who, who said, you know, that's amazing God, but there was these big barriers to be able to be in. And once Paul came with the good news of God's grace, when the gospel came, a lot of those barriers came tumbling down. They didn't no longer have to reject their history, society, all of those things. They had to die to themselves. 
and they had to be born again in a new identity in Christ. But they received this, this grace so much easier than it was ever available before. And I think because it was received easier for those that before it was hard, those that were on the inside, the Jewish people, had a really hard time accepting that. Right? For a Jewish person, it was pretty easy. You were just born that way. You were born in the community. You were born in the promise. You were born in all these things. And there was a sense of pride and identity in that. But now when God's grace is spilling out, flooding the entire globe, that anyone who would receive him could receive him, all of a sudden, they couldn't just claim that it's just our God. He is the God. And that was difficult. And I think for those of us that are in Christ, sometimes that we associate God with our culture instead of associating our culture with God. Right? We begin to, to create these claims upon him that I don't think that we have a right to claim. Right? God listens to hymns. Did you notice the, the even Christian rap, which just shows his grace? And he receives praise and all of these things. That God sometimes wears a three-piece suit. And God sometimes, he, he has tattoos, right? He, he shows up with everybody. That our God is a relational God. And I think we have to understand that the gospel is not something that is just ours. God gave us the gospel to share. And to share with those who don't see things like us and don't look like us. And don't understand the world the way we do, and that's okay because we all have to die to ourselves so we can see the world the way that God does. And so Paul has gone to Rome, and he preached the gospel, even in Rome. And then he says, now the gospel's time is to spread. And he finished it. Verse 30, which is a, such a great thing. It says, for two whole Years. Now, I want you to circle that word whole because it's important, but it says for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance, with everybody, Jews, Gentiles, it didn't matter. See, Paul finished strong. This is exactly what his whole ministry was about, and God brought him to Rome. Now, why does the whole years matter? Well, Roman law, if somebody appeals to Caesar, they have to be seen by Caesar. And there was a time limit. You had two years, right? But you can't be seen by Caesar if no one has anything to write about you. They don't have any accusations. You're not being accused of any crime. There's a two-year window. And after two years, if there are no accusations brought before you, then the case is dropped. Church history tells us that after two years, Paul was set free. That the Roman Empire paid to bring the gospel and this, pro this apostle to Rome. But you know what? God wasn't done with Paul. Nero eventually got crazy. And then eventually Paul did meet Nero. And, and church history tells us that eventually he, he was executed right outside of Rome. But at the end of this story, you know, Paul's, he, his testimony, he got to Rome and God set him free. What a cool thing. That's the story. You know, and, and we look at this, how to finish strong, I think is what we want to look at today. And I'm going to pull up some, some three points that I'm going to get from, from the book of Philippians, not the book of Acts. And the reason I choose Philippians is the three things, is that you're going to see these lived out in the book of Acts, but also because Paul wrote as he was in Rome. And I think, well, that's pretty apropos. And there's Philippians 3.14, which, by the way, was our football verse last year. And it says this, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Right? This is a, a passage that really speaks to uh, when Paul is talking about, when he's looking, he doesn't know if he's going to meet Nero and then get executed or what. He doesn't know. He's got two years. He's sitting there. He's writing this, chained to some guard. And he says this, I press on, I'm going to, right, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And there's three keys in here to finish well that we find in that passage. And the first one is to maintain integrity. If you want to finish well, you maintain integrity. Paul says, I press on to win the goal, to win the prize. He doesn't just press on. He's not just endlessly just doing something because I have to do it. There's a goal to his life. He trains in such a way, he lives in such a way to be worthy of the prize, to do it. <laughs> For the Christian, this is what we call integrity. 
want to live in such a way as to win the prize means you have to live like a champion, don't you? Right? I, with, in every area. So, like with my football players, if they want to win every day, what are you eating? Are you getting good sleep, right? Are, do you, are you filling your head with good things or garbage, right? Are you practicing well? But even off the field, are you living right? If you don't live like a champion, you don't get the rewards of a champion. And it's the same thing for us in Christ. If we want to have success in the kingdom, it starts in the privacy of our day-to-day living. It starts in how we're thinking and how we're treating others. Are you accepting the grace and sharing the grace of God? Are you living within the incredible holiness that he provides for us? If you live a lazy life, you're going to have lazy results. And Paul lived in such a way as to win the prize. See, we compromise our future when we make compromises today. Do you realize that? All the time, right, we're finding in the news these people that are very big, very important, have all these impressive things, right? And then we see how they make a moral failure and they destroy all kinds of stuff. That moral failure didn't just happen out of nowhere. There are lots of cracks in the dam before it blows open. And I would say in our life, we have to live in such a way for Christ that there's not a lot of cracks in our dam. Right? That's why Jesus said, if you want to live for me, if you want to follow me in the scripture, he says, take up your cross daily. Be faithful. Be faithful in the little things. Practice faithfulness. That's what it is. Right? The gospel is, right? Like most other faiths and religions are like God just saying, come find me. I'm out here. Live in such a way that maybe you're going to stumble across me. You're going to find enlightenment, maybe. Our faith is a come follow me. God came to us. He didn't say come find me. He says, I found you. Now come follow me. And he shows us step by step by step. What does it mean? To follow Christ faithfully is what's called integrity. It's living according to what we know is true. Right? It's like the health guru who actually practices what he teaches. He eats a good diet, he exercises, gets good rest, he's got you know, a good schedule that has time for, for you know, personal stuff and time for work. It's like, like a really, you see his person like that, you're like, wow, I'm going to listen to you. But if you come across a health guru who's you know, on, you know, just really unhealthy all the time, way overweight, you know, all the time, stressed out, probably not going to listen to him. You're, say, you're teaching these things, and they may be very true. Or it's like a financial advisor who's poor, Right? We have the good news of the gospel of Christ. We have the way. Jesus said, follow me. He's got it recorded. What does it mean? We have to live like champions in the kingdom. We want to live in such a way as to win the prize. And there are a lot of Christians who don't finish well. The kingdom of God accepts them because they're there by God's grace through faith, right? But we want to live like champions. So Paul says, I'm going to live this way so that after I preach the good news to others, I do not disqualify myself for the crown. First thing I say, if you want to finish well in life, you have to maintain integrity daily. That's why repentance is a a daily, momentary thing. That's why that verse that we had, that memory verse, is so helpful because I'll get in traffic and I'll I'll think things that that are not becoming of a Christian. And I might even say things that aren't becoming of a Christian. And immediately, I say, you know, I consider my life worth nothing to me. That point of repentance but I do have an aim. I remind myself of the goal. I'm going to testify to the good news of God's grace. We have to start by saying, I'm going to start living God's way. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to maintain integrity. The second thing we find on is we have to press on. It's not going to be easy, right? Press on. Paul had a lot of opportunities to quit, didn't he? And I would think under human circumstances, any, any human would look at Paul's circumstances and say, it's fine to retire now, Paul, right? In fact, most of us would have told Paul when he left Philippi, would have said, retire. You have a miraculous ministry. You have a really healthy church that you planted, right? The gospel has gone to all parts of Asia, right? You, you see the power and the work of God within you. Finish while you're ahead, Paul. For crying out loud, you're, you're in your upper 50s. You're taken care of. Just, you're good. Paul's like, no, nah, i got to go to Rome because bad things are going to happen to me there. What? 
No, I got to go because I have to bring the good news all the way back so that way the Jewish church will know that we're one in Christ. I got to finish strong. I think when you get shipwrecked is a good reason to say I'm done. When you have the people that you want to share the good news with reject you and try to kill you multiple times and have false accusations against you and so you've been in prison for two years, it would be enough to say, you know what, I tried. I really tried. And he did. Paul could have got to Rome and said, I'm focused on the Romans. But he didn't. He pressed on. As long as there's time for faithfulness, be faithful. You know, this world is, is not a perfect place. That's why we don't live here forever. It's broken. We broke it. But God made us for eternal things. Paradise is coming. That's our true home. But today we shouldn't expect paradise. And do you know that there's a real enemy? I think this is hilarious that we don't even know the devil's name. Right? Devil, Satan are two different ones, Hebrew, one's Greek. It just means the adversary. God doesn't even give him the dignity of a name. We know Gabriel. We know Michael. We don't know the devil's name. Who cares? It doesn't matter. He is not opposed the almighty God, and he deserves to be forgotten forever. Doesn't even have the value of a name. But he's out there, and he's mean, and he's nasty. Demons are real. But so are people who reject God. We have opposition. I understand that we live in a world that is in opposition to God. Why would we expect that those of us who follow God would have it easy? <laughs> right? Jesus promised, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say forever you're in trouble. He said, in this world, while you're here, this short little blip of time in your scope of eternity, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's like the kid who goes to the doctor's office and they're going to get a shot. They say, for the next two minutes, it's not going to be pleasant for you. right? But then you get a lollipop. In this world, you're going to have trouble. We have to set our mind on this. It's going, to be, it's going to be a long slog. You have to have it in your mind. right? Think about cross-country runners. They don't have a sprinter mentality, do they? If they have a sprinter mentality, they die. right? They get like a quarter mile down the road, and then they'll pass out. But a lot of Christians have that. They come to Christ, they're all excited, all jazzed up, and then they sprint for Jesus, and then they get worn out and die. Right? Their faith grows cold. They're exhausted. They're like, oh, I didn't realize it was going to be so tough. Why did you realize it's going to be so tough? Jesus promised me tough. When he said, follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross. I think right there might be the hint. Deny yourself. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. Die to yourself so you can really live. Yeah, it's going to be tough. So press on. If you want to finish well, understand that the prize is out there and it's worth it, but it's not going to be given easily. It's not for the weak, and it's not for those who are lazy. The prize is for those who are going to be faithful. That's why in Revelation, Jesus says, hey, you know what? Blessed are those who actually keep my word, who press on to the end, for they will receive a crown of glory. Press on. Don't let the devil trip you up or tell you, oh, no, it's not worth it, or, oh, you're too tired. No, you keep going. And understand this, that the promise of God is he is with you, and he will empower you to finish well. You have to rely on him. You're going to have to rely upon that. You have to rely upon the church which God has given us. But you press on. Do not give up. Life's going to be hard. It's going to challenge you. Okay, press on. The last thing we have is this, is we have to keep our eyes on the prize. You have to. If you're going to finish, you have to remember why you're going to do this, because it's going to be hard, right? I get it. 67 years is not anything Maybe 80 or 90 is not anything compared to eternity. But for us here now, to keep motivated, God has shown us a way to make sure that we stay motivated. And it says this, I press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul remembers Christ. He remembers why he's going there. It's worth it. All of the suffering that Paul went through, he knew it was worth it. How do he know? Well, God knew Paul was called to a special kind of suffering, so God gave Paul a special kind of understanding. Paul got to see the third heaven. He got to see Jesus raised, some things that none of us have gotten to see. But he knew it was real. 
And he's like, trust me, it is so worth it. In fact, Paul even wrote that, that all of the troubles today are like just momentary inconveniences compared to the glory that awaits us. Do you think that was a motivator for Paul when he was on a ship, you know, being all seasick and everybody, you know, is panicking around him? Yeah, I think it was a motivator for him not to give up. I think knowing what's coming is really important, which is why God had it recorded for us in Scripture. We have to remember that this world is not forever. It is a very short period of time. We have to remember that there is a goal, and it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Paul was focused on the kingdom. You see, this, this faith thing is not a joke. It's not a game. Jesus didn't say, hey, come toy with me. He didn't say, hey, come on and just kind of hang out with me for a little while, right? Jesus said, come follow me. The people that listened to Jesus, the crowds that surrounded him that were there for the free lunches and watched the, the spectacular miracles, they all abandoned him when it got tough. And Jesus said, go. And he turned his apostles to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave too? And no. He said, you know what? If you want to follow me, it's going to be hard. But it's going to be worth it. Absolutely going to be worth it. We have to remember Christ. You know, church history tells us that the apostle Peter, when his wife was being taken out to be executed, which I think most of us sometimes we forget, that she would have known Jesus. Jesus healed her mother, right? Stayed at their home, all that kind of stuff. As she was being taken away to be executed, Peter calls out to her, and he said, my beautiful. He says, remember the Lord Jesus. That was his last words recorded for, for his wife. Isn't that fantastic? The courage that she needed to finish her race well. Peter tells her, remember him. I think we have to understand, he's coming back. He's real. This isn't a joke. Your suffering is worth it. There will be adversaries, and there will be difficulties, and there will be all kinds of pain in this life, but it's worth it to make it new. And he's making you new. And he has a place for you. It's worth it. So be willing to take the difficulties of life, the, the criticisms and, and all of the things that come with following Jesus. It's okay. Remember why you're doing it. Isn't it easier to have integrity if you remember why you have to have integrity? So how do we then apply this? Well, this is an easy one. First one you've got to do is you have to maintain integrity. Hebrews 12 has some good things on this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything that it hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I want you to notice the pattern, those three things I told you, how we find them in other places in Scripture. In this, don't we start with maintaining integrity? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? let us do what? Throw off all the sin, everything that, that gets in our way. That's where we have to begin. In your life, maintain integrity. You get rid of whatever you have to get rid of. And Jesus took this to a really extreme place to really point out really how devoted we need to be. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Right? Jesus is like, you know what? We have to stop playing footsie with the Almighty. We have to stop saying, you know, I'm kind of, I'm in this just for the party. He's like, no, you're in it for the game. If you want to go to the after party, you've got to play the game. Game's not always easy. Be serious about our faith. Center our life on Christ. That's it. Our time, our talents, everything that we have, everything. We need to center our life on Jesus. That's where we've got to start. Maintain integrity. If you have sin in your life, get rid of it. Run from it. Not because it offends God, but because it's destroying you. It's keeping you. It's tripping you up. Start today. Right? This is where we begin. Throw away everything that keeps you from pursuing the greatness that God has called you to. Everything. Does it mean that God won't save you if you hold on to those things? Of course not. You're saved by God's grace. He's amazing. But why on earth would you live in filth when you could live in the, in the, in the power and the glory of God? Let's get rid of these things. Maintain integrity. And I think with this, it's like we have to stop asking, well, why me? Why do I have to live this different kind of life? And saying, you know, why not? Why would I not live for God? Why would I not live for his better way? If I really believe his ways are perfect, why would I continue to just live this junk life that the world tells me I should live? He has a better way for us. So maintain and lead you down a dark path. 
And if you find yourself on a, on a broken way of life, correct, that's repentance, and that's the power of Christ in you. He will help you get back on track. But commit yourself to living fully and wholeheartedly for Christ. You want to finish well? This is where it begins. If you can't live well today for Christ, then what makes you think you're going to finish well for Him later? So really make Him your King. Really live for Christ. Second thing is press on. Press on. We have to encourage one another. Isn't that the word says? Encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. You know, in Hebrews, that next passage, the next very next sentence from where I said, get, get rid of everything you're supposed to, look what the next passage is. It says, and let us run the race with perseverance marked out for us. Interesting, it talks about it starts with integrity, but then it says you have to maintain that integrity. We can't just be Christians that are pumped up today. I'm going to live for Jesus now, but then I'm going to go out and then I'm just going to get lazy again. It's like, the, like in the January when all the people get their gym memberships, Right? I'm going to get healthy, and then they go to the gym, and they get sore, and they give up before they see the results. Press on. Don't give up. Push through it. God is building you, making you stronger, doing great things through it, right? Run with perseverance. What? The race marked out for you. Christ is with you. There's a path of life. He said to live on that. Keep on that. Keep going. I will find this is a, it's a wonderful truth that I was told years ago by a mentor of mine. He said, Aaron, success is for the stubborn. Isn't that a good word? Right? I'm not going to give up. I don't care if everyone around me quits. I will not quit. I will keep on going. Last night, I'll just tell a story. Hey, man, my wife is laughing because she's thinking of this. I'm just going to share it with you. Last night, I finally got to sleep. I went to bed at 9 o'clock because I have to wake up at 5 for church Sundays, and I was tired, right? And I go to bed, and we have a rental property just on the other side of the cul-de-sac. People use the hot tub out there, and I don't know. They go deaf when they're in the hot tub. I don't know what the deal is. And so we're just hearing these blah, 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 right at 9 o'clock. And I'm trying to sleep. And I finally nod off to sleep about 10 o'clock, and then our window was not locked. And it, we have those double slider windows, and it bumps down just like a boom. Makes a, like a bang noise. I'm like, oh, what's that? Like a bear? I don't know. So all of a sudden, got all that. So I go and I try to find, I find what it is and I pull the blinds up to go out. I can fix it and I close it and I'm like, I'm going to go to bed. And I wasn't even saying I consider my life worth nothing to me. I wasn't even thinking that at the moment. I was just thinking, I want to go to bed and I wish those people would be quiet, right? But now it's a little quieter. And then the blinds got stuck. Stuck open. And all the, the strings were all in a knot. And Amy was like, I'm going to fix these blinds. And I did, didn't I? I? Did I ever. They worked so good. And I, she got almost to the end. There was like an inch left. She's like, it's good enough. And I said, no. <laughs> and I got them and I said, now it's good. Because there is no good enough. There is just good or not good. Press on. Press on. Don't make these compromises. Finish what you started, this faith, this race. Do it. There is no such thing as good enough in the kingdom. There is good, and that is what we are called to. And I'll tell you, I have not attained that yet, but I'm trying to live up to it. And I invite you to welcome you to join me in that as follow me as I follow Christ. Right? Let us press on. Let's live by faith. Let's trust that God Almighty is at work today in our here and now. Can we do that? Last thing I'll say, let's keep our eyes on the prize. Look what Hebrews says right after that last passage. I read. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He says, listen, you've got to live with integrity. You've got to get rid of the sin. You've got to live with integrity, right? right? But then, how do we do it? We fix our eyes on Jesus. If you take your eyes off Jesus, you're going to lose your motivation. You're going to lose your way. Of course, everybody thinks of Peter when he gets off the boat on this, right? The water's all going crazy. Jesus is on the water says, hey, I called you out upon the waters. And Peter's like, cool, because he was awesome. And Peter gets out there, and he walks on water. And then he's like, but this is kind of scary. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he sinks. Boy, what a perfect story of most of my life. I'm so excited to follow Jesus, but when I get distracted, and I take my eyes off him is when I sink. And of course, don't we find the grace of God? He pulls him back up. Peter said, Peter, why didn't you just trust? Keep your eyes on me. Well, I'll tell you what, life is hard. It's busy and exhausting. Amen? Expect it. <laughs> It's not going to change that we're going to follow Jesus. Be stubborn. Be more stubborn than the pain. Be more stubborn than this world. Follow Christ. All right? But keep your eyes on Him. God is faithful to complete His good work. He is faithful. 
Even when we're not so faithful, God is always faithful. He is at work right now, working together all things, even our mess-ups and our brokenness, for our good and the glory of his kingdom. So let's be faithful back. Right? Let's keep our eyes on him, remembering why we're doing this. How can you follow Jesus if you don't know where he's going? Right? Have you ever tried to drive with your eyes closed? Don't. Doesn't end well. If we don't drive by faith, why on earth would we say that, that we should just live by just, I trust that Jesus is out there. He's going to guide Look where he is and then steer your life there. Can you do that? He said, follow me. He's always just one step ahead. That's all he is. And he beckons you to follow him in faith, that he's faithful. And he's given you a church family to walk alongside you, an encouragement together that we can point to him and say, that's where he's at. Let's do this. But we have to keep our eyes on Christ. We cannot build a church if we're not building faithfulness and disciples of Jesus, right? And we just build an institution. We might as well be Starbucks. We are building a kingdom of God, right? We are part of his heavenly family, and we are following Christ. That's why we carry his own, his own title. We're Christians. So keep our eyes on him. In your day-to-day, where is Jesus in your life? What is he calling you to? How are you living faithfully? How are you relying upon him? How are you communicating with him? Let's keep our eyes on Christ. So today we talked about a finish well. A finish strong, by the way. I think we have to say we get to maintain integrity, we have to press on, and finally, we have to keep our eyes on, on the prize. Keep our eyes on Jesus. This is how we finish strong in life and in faith, pretty much in all things, right? So let's follow the example of, of the apostle. Let's follow the example of those who kept before us. Let us be the type of Christians, the type of church that finishes strong. And so on your connection card, I'm going to have some next steps for you as you follow Jesus, as we complete this series. I really think this, it all kind of leads up to this, doesn't it? That we've seen an example and then Acts 28 ends because that's where our story picks up. And what are we to do? Well, on your connection card, I've got some next steps for you to apply. And maybe some things that you want to do this week. The first one is maybe you'll need to memorize Acts 20, 24. If you don't have the Word of God as, a, as an anchor for your soul, as a, as a filter for your heart and your mind, right? If you're walking around a battlefield without a sword, it's going to be hard. Arm yourself. Equip yourself with the Word of God. Spend some time with it. Memorize this. Meditate on it, which means think about what it says and how it applies to your life. I consider my life worth nothing to me. Are you growing in, in such a way that you could be like Jesus said, that you know what, if you, want to, if you want to be my follower, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me? Are you at the point of saying, you know what, I care about Christ more than I care about my daily comfort? This passage helps. It shows us in our life where that is, and it gives us the courage to remind us that we're not the first nor the only. We're doing what every Christian has been called to do since the beginning of the faith. Consider your life worth nothing to you. I have a name. Finish the race as a task that the Lord Jesus has called us to. I keep our eyes on the prize there. As a task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Living my life in such a way that demonstrates that is integrity. Can you memorize this? Maybe that's what you need to be this week. This is the last time we would review it, but I hope that this passage sticks with you. And if you haven't had time already, please avail yourself of this incredible opportunity. Memorize God's scripture and apply it. Maybe what you need to do is read Acts 28. You know, I, I love how Scripture ends with good endings. You hate movies that have bad endings? I do. Scripture reminds us that, you know what, there's a good end to this. We can finish strong. Christians have been finishing strong over adversity for many, many years. Maybe you need to read Acts 28 and receive the encouragement of Scripture. That's what you do this week. Or what maybe you need to do is examine your priorities. Are you living in such a way that you consider your life worth nothing, that your only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given you? Maybe you need to check your priorities and say, am I really living for Christ? Does my life revolve around him? It's a good thing for us to do. I take a week every year, or I take a week apart, and I, and I pray, and I fast, and I examine my priorities. It's amazing how often I'll find that other things in this world get in the way. <laughs> and I begin to let them you know, attach onto me like these horrible little parasites that drain my energy and my time and my, and my character. And I've got to cut them off. Maybe that's what you do this week, is take some time to do some self-examination. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, to bring that wonderful conviction that he brings, that awareness, to say, am I living the right way, the way that God has called me to? 
Examine your priorities. Maybe that's what you commit to this week. Or how about this? Maybe you need to commit to finishing strong. To say, you know what? Maybe my world isn't, ha- my life hasn't gone the way that I thought it could. But you need to let the, tell the enemy, you know what? I'm not believing the lie that means that my life isn't going right. You are faithful in Christ. It's exactly where you need to be. Even if it's in a hurricane, even if it's abandoned on an island for three months, even if it's locked up for two years in Rome, your life may not go the path that you think it should, but as long as you're faithful, you're exactly where you ought to be. And so this, maybe it's to commit to finishing strong, to commit to having integrity, right? Commit to, 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 be, to pressing on, right? Maybe this is where we need to do, commit to following Christ. Maybe that's where you are this week. Let that be encouragement. May that be your commitment. If there's another commitment you have to make, let me know. If you have a prayer request, this is your opportunity. Please write those down. I do pray with you and for you every week. Knowing how makes it all the better. So please let me know. And here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I invite you, please take this connection card, putting in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts. Because again, this is another act of worship that we get to bring to our God. All right, let me by uh, praying for you and for our commitments and for our offering, and then we'll have the worship band uh, closes out with some great worship. Let's pray. Father God, wow, the book of Acts is so encouraging and so powerful. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be a story that we read from the past, but we've, Lord, we would connect with it. This is our story as well as your children, as your kingdom. Father, I pray as we saw your kingdom come, we saw your kingdom persevere, we've seen your kingdom overcome. Father, I pray now that your kingdom would grow in us and through us, even to those in our community who still at this point resist you, who do not know who you are. Help us to be the lights of Christ that you have called us. Father, I pray even this week all the more, Lord, that, that you would help us to be a people that lives with integrity, that we would live as followers of Christ. So help us to apply your word and your truth and your promises to our life, this week. We invite the conviction from the Holy Spirit, but as well as the correction and the grace that helps us change. Lord, help us to follow you with truth and in honesty. Lord, we pray too that as we do this, give us the capacity to be encouraged, to press on, to not give up. Help us as a body of, of your believers in this valley to encourage one another, to love and to good works. And Lord, I pray in this, Lord, that you would give us the capacity as this church not only to just do good things, but to remember why we're doing them. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you this week. And that's a blessing that I would pray over this congregation, that you would reveal yourself in our hearts and our lives in a fresh way this week. Help us to see you in our lives and help us to follow you. And Lord, the commitments that we've made this week, I ask that you help us to keep them in a way that builds us as your body, helps us bring you glory. Lord, we also pray for the tithes and offerings that we bring today. May you bless them and use them to build your kingdom for your power, your glory, your goodness. We ask all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior.